one of the things to keep in mind is the reason that this is becoming such a news item is it's it's almost a made-for-TV disease. It has a great name, monkeypox. Oh my gosh, that sounds awfully scary. And it can cause facial lesions that during the period that they're there, they're very obvious. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, once again, thank you for joining us. The last uh, nine, ten days, uh, headlines have been about um, continuous uh, rising infection rates here in the States, monkeypox, and um, certainly what's happening in China. Why don't we start with a little bit about what the data is showing, not only nationally, but globally. Well, two different pictures. Um, Globally, the data is showing that cases are down pretty much around the world. Even China, um, both the objective data, which we've, as we've said many times, we can't trust completely, but subjectively, the reports that we get from uh, businesses we work with in China, um, that it definitely feels that that cases are significantly down and and things are opening up a little bit more. Everyone's afraid that things could close down at a moment's notice, but for now, things are opening up. Um, And another uh, evidence of all this is that just about every country in the world, with the notable exception of the United States, and there are a few others, um, have removed all of their travel entrance restrictions related to COVID. There are only a handful of countries that require you to have a test prior to flying into the country, of which the U.S. is one, China is one also. But just about everybody else has done away with their their travel-related requirements to enter the country. Um, but in the U.S., it's very been very interesting over the weekend and the, the long holiday weekend and the first few days of this week in that all the press is talking about how case rates are up. But then when you look at the data, actually, case rates are down. In fact, the the reports currently is that case rates have fallen 17% in the last week. Now, there is some concern that that may not be real in that we did have the long holiday weekend and were people just not reporting. But here we're at Wednesday afternoon, so we're two business days into reporting past the, the holiday weekend. And the traditional pattern we've seen is that, yes, cases go way down over a holiday, but then those couple of days after, they spike right back up. And that's not what we're seeing. They're continuing to go down. Um, and then as as our deaths, as our hospitalizations. Uh, so I, there is a reasonable chance that things have peaked in much of the country, um, especially the coasts and then coming in towards the middle. Um, I, I'm still not something I would hang my hat on yet because of the the data problem with the holiday in there. But over the next few days, I think there's a good chance we'll see that that we're getting towards the end of this BA2, specifically BA2.12.1 peak. Yeah, I would agree with Bill overall. In Florida, though, we are seeing a little bit of a peak. And and, uh, actually in Gainesville area, our hospitalizations are up, uh, not, not to the level that they were earlier, but there were some, some modest increase in hospitalizations. So uh, I think every part of the country is a little bit different. Uh, and the good news is the level of hospitalization related to the number of infections is considerably lower thanks to the vaccination 
and uh, herd immunity from previous infections. So I don't think we're in for a huge hospital surge anywhere at this point. And I will, I do want to caveat the comments on the cases are looking, uh, case rates are coming down with the observation that not just me, but lot, lots of people I deal with, they are seeing more and more cases, but people aren't sick, sick. You know, they're symptomatic, but they're not sick. You know, there's a difference there. And um, so I think that's part of what it is, is that while while there are lots of people getting COVID, there are very, very few people getting sick. It is acting much more like one of the other four coronaviruses that circulate primarily seasonally, but circulate uh, you know, throughout the world every year. Oh, yeah, I agree with Bill. I, it's, it seems where most of the cases are relatively mild now, which is good news. The other, the other point I think that goes along with this is we're seeing great results with, with uh, Paxlovid. I'm using being fairly liberal in um, standards for high risk. It's they do have to have a have a significant risk factor for Paxlovid. It's not it should not be used in everybody, but uh, it typically results in symptoms um, ameliorated or even disappearing within about 48 hours, and seeing about 10% of people that have some degree of recurrence of symptoms you know, somewhere on the order of five days out. Um, that's not that's not a large number of people that we're seeing that in. It does happen. Still don't know whether those people are infectious or not. Those studies are being done. Um, but the guidance is if symptoms redevelop at, at somewhere between three and eight days out, that you should consider these people infectious for at least the duration of their recurrence of symptoms, which is typically only 48 to 72 hours and typically fairly mild. Yeah, let me let me push back on on the statistics here a little bit, uh, because there was a time when um, people were going to their doctors to be diagnosed, uh, and obviously there were people going into the hospital. Uh, one thing I can sort of tell you, being in the center of New York and, and speaking to many many clients, um, a lot of people are now have it. They are t- taking their own rapid tests. They're coming up positive and they're isolating as a result. And so I sort of wonder, how does the, we'll call it the CDC or state or city authorities, how do they begin to look at, you know, get the data that they need to actually come up with an accurate assessment of what's happening in the real world? You're exactly right in the way you frame the issue. The The thing is, though, that the this has been true now for at least a couple of months um, since since Omicron and the the minimal severity that Omicron has, people have not been reporting. So what we can say is, while we may not be able to compare the data from today to the data from, say, even the um, the, the Delta or maybe even the early days of Omicron, the data is comparable, not in magnitude, but at least in direction. Uh, because the same people are reporting, the same people are going to the doctor at the same rate. So you can look at the direction and the mag and the magnitude of the of the uh, the change in magnitude of the curves, but don't try to have any feeling that they actually reflect the right numbers. Yeah, I think David, the hospitalization rate is the most accurate 
and probably is the only one that you can really uh, hang your hat on. Uh, that, that should remain uh, relatively uh, accurate as far as the incidence of cases. So, so I, would, I would watch that, which is being monitored closely by the CDC as well as the numbers of new cases. Right. And remember that that is what the CDC, that's the key feature of the CDC community um, risk map, that the red, yellow, and green map. The, the case is only at a very gross level. Are you greater than or less than 200 cases um, per per week, 200 cases per 100,000 per week? And then the real dif differentiation between red, yellow, and green is based on hospitalization and hospitalization utilization. Throughout this process, both of you have talked about watch the hospitalizations. That's the relevant metric. Uh, but what is also happening here, and I mention this because we field a lot of questions from clients that are trying to figure out whether they can reopen their offices and obviously uh, Bill and Fred, the Swiss cheese approach to safety protocols is, is that um, even if people are not being hospitalized, uh, there is concern amongst employees. And you're, you're seeing the reports about people who are reluctant to return to work, et cetera. But nonetheless, people are getting this. Nonetheless, they're getting sick, whether for two, three days, four days, whatever it is, usually moderate if they've been uh, vaccinated and boosted, but at times, you know, still um, people have described this to me as you don't want to go through it. It really is not a lot of fun. And so, you know, there seems to be a little bit of, if, if I can use the expression, um, a little bit of division between um, the statistics that are being reported and the real world and what institutions have to decide about reopening and you know, and also in terms of you've seen the debate about enforcing return to work versus making it optional and things like that. And just in terms of the advice you would give to companies. Yeah, well, one of the things that I'm concerned about, David, and Bill Bill works with this even more closely, so I'll be interested in his comments. But the, the big problem is this virus has a very high reproductive rate, somewhere in the order of 10 Therefore, if you have the larger the number of individuals you have, the greater the chance that one of them will be infected. And if one person is infected, it's going to turn out to uh, spread to a large number of people in the workforce. So that's the problem with having, if you bring everyone back, I think you using testing, using symptoms uh, are helpful. But Bill, how are you dealing with this problem? Because that concern of becoming infected in a, lar in a large gathering is realistic and is a, a realistic concern. I can understand our workers would not want to go back to the office. Well, I, I think what I'm encouraging companies to do is to apply the Swiss cheese. One of the layers of the Swiss cheese is uh, the, the, approach, the various approaches to mitigation is to decrease the density of people in the office. So choosing as people who can work outside of the office, they work outside of the office. People who have to come in then, they're, they're coming into a less dense environment. And on top of that, um, you've, through engineering controls, have, hopefully the offices have have maximized their ventilation and they've installed filtration or you know, air purification devices that have been demonstrated. I was never in big, big in favor of them, but the newer ones, many of which were 
developed during the COVID pandemic have actually been shown to be very effective. So applying these various layers, including then one of the most important layers being symptom screening and people should not come to work sick. Now that doesn't mean you have someone checking their symptoms at the door, but you've really made it a corporate culture point that people do not come to work sick. And if they feel sick, they test. And what we're learning with with Omicron and with these later the BA2 variants is you don't just you don't assume one test means negative because so often we are finding that people are negative for the first two even into the third day of symptoms. So with that you can't just assume you're negative. If you have symptoms consistent with COVID, which unfortunately are also symptoms consistent with spring allergies, you don't come to work. And the companies I've been working with, that has been working very well. They have sporadic cases, but rarely have we seen office-related outbreaks. Large number of cases, but not office-related outbreaks or chains of transmission. And that comes from applying the, the multiple layers of the Swiss cheese. All right, let me uh, pivot to the global landscape. Um, China has dominated a lot of media coverage, uh, Shanghai in particular. Uh, do you guys have any views in terms of uh, what's happening over there, implications for the West, business travel? Many corporations obviously have um, people in offices, both in China and also you know, places like Hong Kong and, and, and surrounding areas. Uh, what's your perspective on, on the data? The data in China that we see coming from China is good. And the unofficial feedback is that that these things are opening up again. However, for non-Chinese organizations that want to have people traveling to China, you have to have people who feel lucky because you could be in a you know, random location and they have a case and you end up in quarantine for a couple of weeks. Um, and maybe not the type of quarantine where you're going to have good access to communications, um, to even English language uh, support. So I, st I still say for people who are going to China to do business, well, do you feel lucky? And uh, obviously Chinese policy towards uh, the disease is very, very different. They've had a lockdown strategy. It's a little hard for Westerners to envision uh, a city of 24 million people in lockdown. Uh, well, a city in lockdown, and if you have an exposure, you're placed in a quarantine facility, which is usually a, it's typically a, for for non-Chinese, they typically put them in hotels, but they're not exactly the highest end hotels that you're going to be in. And you may or may not have internet access um, you probably will not have access to Western food. Um, so you're going to be in a, in a difficult environment, a safe environment, but a difficult environment for probably two weeks. Relatedly, we got into this towards the end of the podcast the other week. Um, Monkeypox has been in the headlines. And uh, obviously there are all sorts of conspiracy theories out there and uh, – um, alarmist, uh, we'll call it internet stories. What can you uh, share with the audience so they can better understand uh, the nature of this particular disease uh, 
how it gets transmitted, should people worry about it, and on the off chance that um, you are infected, what to do about it. Um, well, David, this this virus um, is very different. Uh, the orthopox viruses are DNA viruses. Therefore, they are much more accurate at reproducing. There are very unlikely to be rapid mutations and adaptations. And the reproductive rate, remember we just talked about the latest BA2 is a reproductive rate of 10. Uh, the Congolese uh, strain has a reproductive rate of less than one. And the West African is somewhere about 1.1 to 1.2. So it's much, much less infectious. The second important fact is that almost all patients who transmit the disease are symptomatic at the time of transmission. There does not seem to be a long asymptomatic incubation period. The other thing is, remember, uh, for the uh, COVID-19, the incubation is two to three days. However, in this, for this uh, virus, it's uh, somewhere around 10 to 14 days. So it, the point is it moves much more slowly. It's far less infectious. It's far less likely to develop uh, new and uh, gain-of-function mutations in a short period of time. And the way it's spread is predominantly uh, by skin contact and the lesions, the pox lesions themselves, have high concentrations of virus. And secondly, uh, from uh, if you what happens, you get uh, the lesions inside your mouth so that your saliva becomes uh, heavily infected with the virus. So large droplets, there does not seem to be an aerosol. So it would be large droplets. So staying six feet away would be protective. And you don't need the extensive uh, worry about ventilation that you have uh, with the, with the, the COVID-19. So so it's, it's, it's a concern. And then the other issue is the mortality of this disease. The West African, which is the one that's spread around the world, has a low mortality uh, somewhere in the 1% range. Um, so it's, uh, and most people have moderate symptoms, although my understanding is the lesions themselves can be very painful. And uh, you do get a viral-like, uh, uh, influenza-like syndrome that can be feel pretty severe. So it's not something you want to get, but it takes very close contact and uh, is probably not going to overwhelm any health system at all. Yeah, and just a couple of extra points is almost all of the cases that have been seen have been in the men having sex with men community. Now, like other diseases that are sexually transmitted in this manner, there is from the, within that community, there can be spread into the heterosexual community also, but there have not been any significant reports of, if you want to call it general public transmission. Um, many of these have been associated with major events um, and not just random transmissions in the community. Um, and the other is just one thing, Fred, you said, um, there is there is not a long asymptomatic infectious period. There is a long asymptomatic incubation period. And one of the benefits of that is if you find out, you found out that you were exposed and it's been in the first couple of days since the exposure, it is possible to get immunized and the immunization 
be fairly effective, not 100% effective, but be fairly effective in preventing the outbreak of disease. So uh, awareness of this, especially in the at-risk community, does an awful lot and is doing an awful lot for preventing uh, future growth of an outbreak. Uh, so the one of the things to keep in mind is the reason that this is becoming such a news item is it's it's almost a made-for-TV disease. It has a great name, monkeypox. Oh my gosh, that sounds awfully scary. And it can cause facial lesions that are, fortunately, they don't tend to be disfiguring, but during the period that they're there, they're, they're very, very obvious. Um, and so that is... That is, again, another made-for-TV moment. So the general public should not be extremely worried about this. Aware, yes, and the, the at-risk community should be very aware of it and doing the utmost to protect themselves um, from transmission. Both Bill and Fred, thank you again for spending some time. Uh, just in the remaining minute or so, uh, what are you looking at? Um, as you think about the future of the next couple of weeks, summer months, obviously a lot of people coming together. Uh, what what should we be looking for? You know, there's one of the big things that I'm that I'm seeing reading over the last week or so is one of the most optimistic times in this, in that there are no new variants that seem to be getting gaining a foothold. Even the BA4, BA5, that two weeks ago when we last did this, um, we did have a lot of concern that those could represent yet another wave. They don't seem to be getting a foothold, um, even and even in South Africa, They've already peaked, and they're they're well down on their peaks of both cases and hospitalizations related to this BA4, BA5. Um, the Australian and the Australian Public Health Service has said that they are concerned that they are seeing some there. So there is the possibility that it could get going. But one of the big issues is that the infectivity of BA4, BA5 is very, very similar to the infectivity of the most predominant strain in the U.S., which is the BA2.12.1. And one of the things that we know, and I think everybody has learned through this, is that in order for a new variant to get a foothold, it has to be more infective than the existing variant. And Four and five are not more infectious to any great extent than BA 2.12.1. So there is a good chance that we're going to have a summer of decreasing rates. Now, that I, I always hate to say something like that because you never know when something else is going to pop up. But I'm, I'm feeling pretty optimistic right now. Yeah, I agree with Bill. I, I, I think we may have some small little peaks, but I the health system is not going to become overwhelmed again. I think we may have seen the last of of the big surges unless there's some new variant that we don't know about right now. But uh, we may have reached the maximum infectivity. In other words, the gain of function for uh, contagiousness may have been reached at this point. But uh, I would leave that up to the virologists whether or not they think it can become even more infectious. If we don't have a further gain of function... We shouldn't see further peaks. So always good to end on an optimistic note, which we haven't been able to do in prior sessions. So Fred, Bill, thanks once again. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. 
Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.